I'm not out of love. I'm not lost without you. These old folks were right. Disbelieving for so long. T20 Cricket is dead. Wow. I mean, firstly, I'm loving the choice of song. That's an 80s classic. Huge kudos there. I've narrowed down the uh, genre. Well, yeah, it makes it easier in the Google search, if I'm honest. 80s classic <laughs> every week from here on out. T20's dead. Now, that is a statement. I'm very much looking forward to talking about that. Welcome to Slogging It. As always, I'm John O'Gordon, joined by Eugene the Buffalo Berger and Simon the Buffoon Roberts. Gents, a pleasure as always to be back. How are we both? Eugene first. I'm really good, thank you. I, I do like the Buffalo Berger, but you can't have a B and an R with you called Simon Roberts there. You have to come up with an R as the middle term and or the well-known animal. So, yeah. The rhino. There you go. His yeah, head's I mean, the that, same size. I was going to say, that you've got massive. <laughs> yeah. And I've also seen someone with a massive fucking horn. <laughs> Hang on. Yep, there we go. There we go. And a bit of blue fit, Dad. A bit of blue fit, Dad. And we're off. Um, and we're off. So, have uh, you been up to anything exciting, Eugene? Absolutely nothing. Jonathan, you've had a net tonight. You've had a net yeah, tonight. Yeah, that's not really. Yeah, that's not nothing. I mean, yeah, I went out, smashed the ball everywhere. These Woodstock gear that I keep getting arriving at the front doors working really well for me. It reminds me, when I see you on the 11th, I need to hand in some bats to you. So, yeah, they need to be replaced or repaired or I don't know what you do. As a refurbed. sponsored player. Oh, refurbed. Like, a sponsored player. <laughs> right, yeah. I've got to be your best LMS player in the world. Come on. I mean, no no wonder it's we struggle to feed Rafi. Is it? <laughs> if you're in the, yeah, if you're one of the pro ranks. We'll come back to that. Simon, how are you, mate? You've had, you've been a bit... Well, double-ended this weekend, haven't you? There's a lot wrong with the opening three minutes of this podcast already. I may have had a small amount of D&V over the weekend, but yeah, and I'm sure the listeners don't want to hear about that because, well, it was the same colour coming out of either end. It was just... I mean, I'm not a biologist, but surely that means something in the middle, like, collapses. <laughs> At the rate it was coming out as well, like, it was... I mean, it's just one long tube in it, and surely if it's coming out of either end, the middle of the tube, like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, but no. Other than that, I'm a lot better now, though, Johnny. Thank you. Good. You um, sound better. When I spoke to you on the phone, you sounded truly awful, which I think I told you as well. Always yeah. wanted to try and brighten. You seem to be working on the. Uh, you seem to be working on the theory that if I wanted sympathy, I should look between shit and syphilis in the dictionary. Yes, basically, yeah, because you won't be getting it from me. I talking talk about weekends. I mean, we had a very quiet weekend, Johnny. I mean, this yes. sounds like teeing yourself up for a long half folly. Yeah. So, what did you get up to this weekend, Johnny? Well, well, what I can say that. Coming out the end of it, I'm hobbling around like God knows what. So listeners may be aware that I struggled with gout. It ruined my holiday to Barbados. And after the this weekend's exertion, shall we say, I'm now maybe, I mean, if we were doing the walk today, you two would be just going, we'll see you in three days by the time you've completed the first 10 miles, because I would be it just in no hope. So yeah, I went to celebrate my mate's Paddy's birthday in Manchester on Friday, then went up to Johnny Irwin, TV presenter, big friend of the Tavs. He's a Tav. It was his 50th birthday in Newcastle on Saturday. So a few of us went up there. So met Jimmy Nail, which was really cool. Bit of a, yeah, I'm not sure that name might not mean much to you, Eugene, but big star, big Geordie star from 
the eighties as an actor and then the nineties as a singer. But yeah, there's well, some really well, cool people. Sort of he sounded like a hitman, Jimmy the Nail from from maybe no. the eighties. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's not from the he's not from the Sopranos. But yeah, no, had a yeah, had a really two really nice evenings and then yeah, day full of meetings all day Sunday. So that wasn't flash. But yeah, recovering today, trying to get some work done, trying to catch up. And uh, yeah, here we are. Monday evening, as always, the three of us uh, get together. The dog's asleep on the floor behind me. Classic. And uh, yeah, we're here to talk nonsense about something that we think we know something about for the next hour or so. So yeah. Not biology. We have to start then with Robbo's song, Come Statement. Please elaborate, dear Simon. I mean, it's obviously not dead. Because there's still people, Sam Curran's in an ungodly amount of money from it. it. Well, he might not do in April. Who knows? It might be dead and he might not. I'm just over it. The stuff that's going on at the minute, it's boring. There is, yeah. the standard of it isn't very good. No. But the product of it, they're serving up is average. There's nothing new. There's nothing revelationary. It's reasonable players playing average cricket. And it, it's just not that exciting. I don't know quite what's going off. There doesn't, people might say the wickets aren't this or whatever. I don't know. It's just, whether there's just been too much of it in the last six months, eight months, whatever it is. Mm. And I mean, we had a conversation pre, like we always do, we have a chat for 10 minutes about what we're going to talk about. And you, you brought up the Big Bash and like what's going off in the Big Bash. And I have no idea. I honestly have no clue. I go to work, so I don't watch the games. Then when the highlights are on in the evening, I've got no interest in that, to be honest. Yeah. Either. It's yeah. Just, it just seems to be the same players doing the same things but not quite as well it always seems to be 140 for whatever so side will either piss it with two and a half hours left or it'll be no bold out or whatever it just it's just not a, i don't know i don't know it just seems to have lost its i was all for it at the start and i don't know whether it's just lost a bit of its pizzazz i guess va -va -voom. Mm. yes thierry Eugene, any thoughts? I think Simon's looking to become a spokesperson for the 100, talking about the <laughs> T20 competitions, losing its pizzazz and blah, blah, boom. Personally, I think, I think it's still hot. And I do agree on one aspect. I think the Big Bash has probably gone on too long. However, if the Big Bash would reduce its time to a reasonable time, and we then had another short... I mean, I'm going to use the SA20 here. I've really enjoyed it. It's been short, sharp. It started in the middle of January. It finishes on the 9th of February, and we move on to the next thing. It's quick, short, sharp. There's a point to a competition where the Big Bash starts in the beginning of December. April. And we're now... April and finishes yeah, yeah, in February. Exactly, exactly, yeah. And it finishes in February. I mean, that's too long for me. And I know that there's, we were, we've had this conversation on the pod a couple of weeks ago about the Big Bash shortening because of other tournaments like the IL-20 and the SA-20 coming in. So... Yeah. For me, I still think the T20 competitions have it. It's just the one is too long. So for me, I think what we talked about last time was the fact that there's so many going on at the same time, it becomes a watered-down version of itself. So, And the problems that are caused is when you've got three on concurrently, as you have at the moment, that's right, I said concurrently, that's a word I know. I just hope I use it in the right way. That's the, the way that the players are allowed to bounce around. The big bash, all of a sudden I've got zero interest because there's no real... Uh, yes, some of the Aussie test players have come back, but like there's no... It's not a global franchise tournament anymore because all the big like big money signings 
and now disappeared to play in the SA20. So the SA20 has actually got the best of all of it because it's the last one. So in order to make the most amount of money, all the big money pros, they're all going to go and play in that. A, because it's a month long, but it means that they can command the most amount of money. They're going to play five or six games in the big bash. And then they'll go there. So it's, as we said, it's the same with like the 100 and then the CPL starting last year. All of a sudden, the quality of the 100 went right down halfway through because all the massive guns, Andre Russell, various others, disappeared to go and play in the CPL. I also think, this is a conversation I had on Saturday, obviously because of the tabs, so Andy Caddick was there, Paul Pritchard, who's an Essex legend. And we were, talk, we were talking about this. And I, was, I actually asked them the question. I said, what do you think is going to happen? And I mentioned this watered down thing to him. Their theory, and they obviously know a bit more within the game, certainly choose still coach at Hampshire, saying that what the big fear is at the moment is that the ECB will no longer be able to centrally contract cricketers. The ECB will be effectively responsible for paying match fees to cricketers because they've been released by their IPL franchise. Because like the IPL, the, the SA20 is in effect an IPL competition. So the big worry is that the Indian teams are going to start swallowing up all of these different franchise tournaments around the world. Obviously, there's a big one in America that the Indians are going to get involved in. And then the England players, Stokes, Hales, Butler, whoever. Let's take Butler, for example. He's a Rajasthan Royals player. The ECB won't have to pay him a central contract because they will have to beg Rajasthan Royals to release him to play test cricket. Like, that, that, that's a worry. That seems to be a worry within the kind of real upper echelons of the game from people who know we're in a position to know more about the inner workings of cricket at that level than we are. Why would that happen, though, Johnny? Because then I think the, these franchise owners basically are then in control of everything, which is what is they want. Is that because they... of money? Is yes. What, which is where it's I'm trying to tee you up. Yeah, you see. It's so, again, we always go back to this, and yeah, we've been talking about this for a while now, is these guys are regular workers like us they just happen to play cricket why shouldn't they go and play or work in the best environment and get the most amount of money for the shortest possible thing to do mm. i don't disagree you know, with they, that but what yeah. i'm saying is i think it, it is going to become incredibly unhealthy if the indian franchise owners just become the owners of global cricket is it the, the thing i mean i need to do some a bit more research on this but is it how much of the indian franchise stuff is the money based around the franchise owners or is it based around the BCCI? Now, we can, I know you've got particular, you tend to have a particular opinion on it about the BCCI, but at the minute, we know that with the, within English cricket, everything, majority of the finances is controlled by the ECB. So if it is the case that the BCCI are controlling the franchise owners, or the SA, whatever, are controlling the franchise owners, then, the I mean, when it comes to America, there's not a deal that, obviously, cricket is a developing game. There we want cricket to develop. The ICC, the BCCI, and the SA Cricket Board have all got a responsibility to try and keep a lid on this in order to maintain the world game, is what I'm getting at. Otherwise, we're going to end up in a position like football where we have, we'll probably have two seasons where you look at the amount of money that's going to be available in North America if they get it right. You'll have a season in North America, and then you'll have you might have three or four seasons. Let's say we have an Australia season, a South Africa season, an India season, and then a North America season, because that's when summer is, and it's when it can populate in the country. But sort of thing with the whole point is, it's losing when you've got people like Chris Lynn, for example, who have spent the first twelve years of the Big Bash playing for the Brisbane Heat, 
is a Brisbane Heat icon, and he's gone and is now playing for Adelaide and he's doing really well. But I don't know. For me, that's just it's just missing. There's not a buzz. It's like in football, if you get derbies, there's always something that within a game that does something. I think the idea of this global tournament now, or this the, these global tournaments, they're all mates. That other than Joss Butler clearly having an issue with some of the South Africans because every time he plays against Rassi. them, he seems to have a pop at one of them. But but you think like you, you saw, I think it was yesterday during a game, Quinton the Moe and Ali was bowling at Quinton the Clock, the cop. And I'm not saying that people should be angry at each other and violent and whatever, but they're, they're just having like a laugh and a joke and a. Yeah, it seemed like it was. It seemed like an exhibition game hmm. that they were like, "Oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna go back to wherever it is in a few weeks and be playing against or with each other and we're gonna sit there and it whatever." It looked a bit like England football had become for a bit when it was various different players knocking around and they seemed to just be. You, you see it on international friendlies to a certain extent, where teammates playing against teammates and it's like a bit of a kick around. Hmm. For me, it's just it's losing some of its like the the run-ups to the games and the, the challenge of each of the games and the, the battles between the two players, between players and things, it, it just seems to have gone. And it's just, yeah, you've... It's almost like there's, not, it's like there's not enough on it to make it exciting anymore. Yeah, so much of it. And I, like, I don't disagree that if you were going to say, right, make the Big Bash six weeks, make the SA 26 weeks, make the... And, and you're going to have to find a way of working it. At the end of the day, everyone's going to or make it four or five weeks. But surely then... One of the one of the easy ways to battle this, and I agree with the point about lads being able to earn as much money as they can in the shortest period of time that they can, but surely make your choice. Say this year you're going to play in the Big Bash, we'll play the entire competition, or you go and play in the SA20 and play the entire competition. I think one of the big problems is that the watered-down nature of what we're actually having to watch is due to the fact that the big boys just go and play, well, I'll go and play four games here and I'll earn, I don't know, 80 grand. And I go and play another four games here and go and earn hundred grand. Because there's no loyalty. You know, it's like, okay, to bring it back to kind of recreational cricket, if you like. So our local league, or the Knotts Premier League, has now gone to becoming an open league. So one of the things that we're talking about as a cricket committee is it's becoming quite difficult because now teams can in effect pay twenty-two players if they want. But in turn, for me, being part of a cricket club. And I know, obviously, Eugene, you were heavily involved at Twickenham and Simon was at Pat when he was playing, and Clifton and whatever. But the, for me, always like identify with the club that I represent. So I'm always like a very loyal club member. But I think people become mercenary, and that's how I'm linking it back to what I'm talking about, the pros. They become mercenary, so there's never any loyalty towards the team that they're actually playing for. And I think that then creates, so look at, I don't know, Jason Roy, who had a really poor run in the SA20, like, does it mean quite as much to him? Because then he goes on to a reasonably flat wicket at Bumfontein and, and scores 100 when he doesn't look like he's going to be able to make it to 10 in every game that he's been playing for. Part Is it Paul Royals he was playing for? So, you know, how much is loyalty something to do with how much you want to go out and actually yeah. achieve something for the club or the team that you represent? I think this problem that we have right now with the loyalty that you're talking about is going to go away because the tournaments are going to realise, like the Big Bash is re and has realised, they cannot compete with the ITA, with the international T20 and the SA20, so they will shorten it. They will be the IPL during that phase. They're talking of the America T20 happening during the English summer, so there's going to be team or people that are going to have to decide whether they want to play county cricket or go and play franchise cricket in, in America. 
for the same sort of money, apparently, from what you read on the interwebs. So I think that loyalty will still remain. It'll just that the competitions will now start falling into place because the SA20 came out of nowhere, right? Nobody expected yeah. this to come out. And the last time they tried something, it fell flat in its face pre-COVID. It was just about to be launched and then it didn't happen. But I think these sort of tournaments will start going. Now, to bring that back to your analogy of club cricket, the reason that I think club cricket and people are loyal to club cricket is because of the culture. And I want to bring that back to what England are creating right now because there's a number of the English players that have given up their contracts in the IPL to come and play in the English county system because yeah. McCullum and Stokes have built this ethos and this club and this culture within the England dressing room that people actually want to play for them. Now, I say for them. It might be obviously for England. But that's the sort of thing that you want from a, from mentors that, within any club. Well, that comes from, the to comes from the top down, doesn't it? So you as chairman, obviously I'm on our committee and stuff. And, it, and I think building a culture is so important because to go back to, to club cricket, for example. So this guy's now disappearing from club to club because someone's waving 30 quid petrol money under the nose for each week. Yeah, right? Exactly. I mean, and it, so amateur clubs for their own survival need loyalty from people. I hate to come back to the bar after games. And that's how you create a really good club culture. Certainly at PAP, we're going to do like a lot more events, member-led events this year in order to try and get people back and stuff. And I think that's how you start yeah. to create that really positive culture. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I, I think uh, when it comes to two things, can't relate professional cricket and these IPL deals to club cricket. It's just may as well be a, a totally different game because of point two, where cricket is a team game played by individuals. The way that Jason Roy looks after his own performance because his performance can be seen now on a daily basis. If you're a centre-back at football or a right-winger at football, you can hide behind a performance because your team wins. Whereas in cricket, your stats are put up every single game. So the re your pride is what motivates people within cricket. I also think, like Eugene says, these guys are professionals and they need to earn money. They've got a very short career in terms of wide careers. So I can't actually blame them for doing that. I think there's got to be something, a fundamental infrastructure put in place where, and to be fair, England... You look at English county cricket, and they were the first people to do it. If a test series, English county sides are quite prepared to take Steve Smith for three games and then and then mm. go to a different overseas pro for the next four games and then a different overseas pro for the next six games rather than taking someone that's perhaps available all year. And that you can't exactly blame them for doing that. If you've got the best batter, in my opinion, one of the top three batters who ever walked the planet available for your side for three or four games, well, yeah, you'd have it. Because all of a sudden he, he can win you those. If he, if he wins you one, he's done his job. Like you, people, yeah, but nothing else is be... going on during. The, nothing else is happening at the same time as English county cricket. So I don't. I don't no, draw I mean a parallel. Is, you look at the players being able to move around. If you're the Sydney Thunder, for example, and you've got the opportunity to have one of the top three T Twenty opening batters in, currently in the game for five games for five of your ten games, but then he's going to go off somewhere else. Are you going to have him or you not? Because you, your job is to win. And having him for those five games is going to mean that you win. Or doesn't mean that you win. It's going to increase your chances of winning. Well, then if they leave to go somewhere else, then you're back at square one for the back end of the competition. But, but where you, it gets you, more important. Fingers crossed, you've, you, you've won four, lost one. Worst case scenario. And he's helped you do that. So you're ahead of the curve. Yeah, but what I'm saying is when it gets to the back end of the tournament where actually that's where you earn your money, they've, dis they've disappeared to go and look after himself. Well, I mean, you look at Sydney Thunder, for example, they didn't have David Warner available. I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying, but like you look, so they picked Alex Hales for the first six games. 
he leaves, David Warner comes back in. What yeah. have you lost anything? You didn't have David Warner for the first bit. So we'll get arguably one of the best. A load of runs according Cup. to a load of runs according to David Warner's stats to Alex Hales. That's what you've lost. Well, <laughs> yeah, but you can't like you're a you team can't legislate the treatment. Yeah. No. So yeah. my my issue isn't necessarily with the players that are moving around. I think something does need to be done with that, and I will never sit here and blame a cricketer for wanting to earn money while they can. We've seen people be injured at the age of 26. We've seen people lose their careers at the age of 21. So if, some, if you're 19, 20 years old and someone walks up to you and offers you, it might not even be, it, it could be, let's say, 100 grand for six weeks, which in terms of professional cricket now isn't an absolute truckload of money. It's a lot of money. I appreciate that in general terms. But you're thinking, well, I don't know, that's my deposit on a house paid. That's yeah. me cleared and done for the next. If something goes wrong, I'm good and I'm off and running. You can't then look at that. I think there needs to be a bigger and a wider decision on the structure of cricket. And I still think that what that's going to rely on is ECB, your BCI, the SA Cricket, all the boards getting together and going, look, we know where the money comes from, but for the good of the game, this is the structure we need to have. And that needs to be done around cricket boards worldwide. Almost like it's done with football and with FIFA and when they go, right, these are the weekend breaks. Unfortunately, you've seen what happened with Qatar and the World Cup there when they've then gone, no, this is what's happening. Mm. This is when the World Cup's going to be. You sort yourself out otherwise. Does then the ICC have a responsibility to the game to then try and create a calendar where these don't overlap? Yeah. But then would other players argue that if none of them overlap, then it's only the top boys that ever get to play and so therefore they don't get a chance to go out and earn that cash. Do you want me to be really hard? Yes. Life's competitive, it sucks. Yeah. Because I... Well, sorry, like, well, how far down do you run that? How far no, down? Mate, I'm completely with you. That's what I'm saying. Because what? I think that in order for the Big Bash at the sharp end to be watchable, which at the minute I don't really think it is, you still need the superstars to be playing. Correct. So if you're not good enough, get better. And, and when by, you the, get... by, by the same token, don't actually mind there being almost feeder tournaments. If they think they can make money, if this ITLTT20, whatever it is that's going off in UAE at the minute, has got an amount of money, might not be, it's obviously by the sounds of it, not a similar amount of money to than the thing. I've got no problem with them running it. But like you said, I think there needs to be something where the best way play, an ability to build a rivalry. There's whether players are contracted over multiple years or whatever it is, but there's like, like you look at the American kind of franchise where rookies earn a certain amount and then the contracts go up and you get everything else that goes with it. And if that player moves to another team, that salary is moved over. So you run it like that. There needs to be something. And I'm not saying that people who are lower down the cricketing scale shouldn't have an opportunity to earn money. But fine. If there's a tournament going off and don't care who it is, can go and play in it. If you get a phone call, John O, from this idea, I, T20, whatever it is, and someone goes, Johnny, mate, we've gone through the list. You're 7,658th on it, but we've got and a we've spot all, for you. But we've only got a fiver left, so do you fancy it? Like, why not? Go And you want to go and earn money? Mm. Fine. It's fine. If someone's prepared to pay anyone, it's why I've never been adverse to cricket leagues being open. I see the damage it can do to clubs, don't get me wrong. And there's a whole lot of different tax implications potentially that can come with it. But if people want to pay players to pay, who are you to tell someone on a Saturday you can't earn 150 quid for doing something you love doing? I'm John, o- I'm John O'Gordon. I can say what I want to who I want. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, whether they have to listen to you. Is it <laughs> or, whether they will, or whether they will listen. But for me, back onto my point of the T20 cricket, there's just too much average 
cricket at the minute. Yeah. You've got supposedly two of the biggest tournaments in the world in the SA two twenty and the and the big bash. Both finish finish within four days of each other. Supposedly they're both claiming to have the biggest players in the world in. When you've it's also got a test series going off somewhere else as well. There is a there is definitely a lot of average cricket being played at the moment. I agree with that from uh, certain countries. Talking of the uh, talking of Test cricket, <laughs> Joshua De Silva scored a hundred in the warm up game for the West Indies in Zimbabwe the other day. <laughs> I thought you said speaking of Test cricket, and then you've mentioned a warm up game. Well, no, because they're about to play a Test series, <laughs> aren't they? But... Shut up, Simon. Speaking of the Ashes, <laughs> Steve yeah. Smith's got two hundreds in the Big Bash. <laughs> You're an I know, I team, know why you mentioned it, John. Well done, Josh. I played. Yes, yes. Well done, Josh. Don't ignore Simon. He's a prick. Who's the warm-up game against? Oh, Nottingham Poor Butchers third eleven. <laughs> <laughs> and then tomorrow, John, the John got a group of mates over and bowled off all his own. Then they're playing. <laughs> then they're playing a game tomorrow against Selston Library. Yeah, fourth. <laughs> Quickly followed by a T20 against the Dog and Duck. Teas were no. provided. Dripping sandwiches. Right. And only yeah. one roll of smoked salmon. Yeah, Simon, Simon, during your speech from rant, that you've become famous for. People love them. Put them on at night, drift off with your dull, dull I'm not getting them right if they're drifting off. But we did have some listener feedback, didn't we, on the Steve Smith bit that we spoke about. So Matt Revel sent us an email in. Do you want to lead on that, Simon? He did. Would you like me to... It's a long email. I won't read it in full. Plus, you'll all soon learn that I can't actually... It read. takes me about a week to read anything. I can read, but it just takes a while for me to read and then speak. <laughs> Matthew Revel. On the Steve Smith being compared to Bradman, I don't think I made a direct comparison, by the way, Matt, but I said, is he becoming the best of all time? He basically states, talking Nibble. about, I've read a small part, Don Bradman played during the time of World War II, leading him to take time out of his playing career. In 1930, it took the Australian team four weeks on a ship to get to England. I think it was six, actually, Matt. I'm sure he used his time well to keep fit and knock golf balls around with a stomp. He did. On a barrel. Donald Bradman, he talks about his cricket equipment, uh, blah, 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 blah. And what, an interesting point is he raises, although he does kind of blow his point out of the water a little bit, but we love the feedback, Matt. Hold on, just saying that, I can't believe you're reading a listener's email and, and actually went blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> he talks about his kit and the bats, which we all know have changed. And then he talks about the short ball, which is very interesting. He says, how would Steve Smith do against the following when there was no bounce limit rule, no helmets, all the helmets that were available were made out of paper. Having the likes of Joel Garner, Michael Holding and Andy Roberts all bowling at 90 miles an hour plus with very poor protection would Steve Smith play safe shots to the short ball. Other than pointing out the obvious that Donald Bradman didn't play against Joel Garner, Michael Holding or Andy Roberts. It is a very valid point that laws were different, pitches were different. It also mentions earlier in the email talking about covered and uncovered pitches. That was on, that it was in the blah 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 bit. I think that was the blah 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 bit <laughs> where cricket's changed. But no, it is a very valid point, and this is one thing that Eugene actually mentioned when he talks about comparing eras. It's very difficult to do, and that's why cricket is such an amazing game. It's one when we're talking about the best and the greatest of all time. It makes the debate so good. I'll turn it round. How would Don Bradman have gone on if he'd have grown up on green pitches against a swinging ball? Yes, he could wear a helmet, but it was going round corners and every side, and this is what made the West Indies so amazing, but now every side had four seamers who bowled at 85 mile an hour plus. Yeah, that was going to be part of the conversation I was about to ask you, Robbo. When you talk about Don Bradman's era, 
My question is, we only talk about batsmen. And I'm putting my hands up here. I might not know of any very good bowlers in that era. But maybe, Matthew, were they good bowlers in that era? Or to my conversation, my comment when I made it with Steve Smith, I think Donald Bradman had a bunch of clubbies bowling to him. That's the way it looks from the stats. The amount of runs that were scored by a bunch of people. So... So from my perspective, that's I'm going to throw that back there and go, give us some stats of some bowlers where they were absolute guns and took a load of five or something to that effect because I haven't looked up the stats. I haven't looked at that era for that reason. Everybody compares everything to Bradman. I don't see anybody going a Shane Warne from Bradman's era or a Wazim Akram or a Waka Yunus or a, one of the absolute West Indie quartet bowlers. We don't talk about that in, in Bradman's era. No, I agree. And it's what, it, what makes it such an enthralling and an interesting debate, if you're a cricket nuffy like all of us are, that you tend to, you rose-tinted glasses. If you've got an opinion, you tend to be able to find the appropriate stats that blow that opinion up, and that's fine. I don't think, like you mentioned at the end, I'll read the last part of it. You know, my bad. In this, Steve Smith is one of the best players of our generation. That is clear at this point. However, this is all out of form. If Smith has a poor summer, as we all hope he does, if in this mindset, would you say James Anderson is the greatest bowler of all time, as he only needs as he only needed to take thirty one more wickets to overtake the legendary Shane Warne? But it's only a small part of this question: who is the greatest of all time? Exactly, statistical evidence is only a small part of it, and that's why you can make statistical questions to the fact that Donald Bradman isn't in the best twenty five batters of all time, if you would like to. I mean, he scored 7,000 runs. There's 20, 25 odd people that have gone past that total. Yes, you can have reasons why he didn't. The amount of test matches played, the journeys Six weeks that he would have gone about. Been on, gone about. Maybe they should have made, gone on bigger boats and played test cricket on them. There would have been an idea. But yeah, no, I don't think James Anderson is the greatest bowler of all time. Really? A conversation for another day, I think, but Possibly. he's got to be up there, man. He's I think, well, he be has, because I think to go through a seam as action, that often and to get that many wickets and I'm not saying a spit it's not difficult to ball spin and obviously a lot of pressure on shoulders as a leg spinner and wrists and what have you but I think the Jimmy's fitness I mean obviously in terms of wickets he's the best seamer of all time anyway but yeah I think he's gonna that would be a very interesting comparison to actually have that discussion one week so maybe we'll do that yep. I'll tell you what when you get onto bowlers as well you can provide even more statistical anomalies that prove that you can say wacky Eunice is the best bowler in the world ever well, like I said, the best strike rate. You can say Matama or Lutheran's the greatest bowler in the world and they have a white. He's got the most wickets. It's Carl a Hooper? test cricket. Carl Hooper, best all-rounder of all time. What, didn't wear a thigh pad. Did, didn't wear a thigh pad to do it. He, he didn't wear a thigh pad. That makes him braver. Okay. But that's this is what I mean. Like you, how you, you can you started to compare Carl Hooper, late 80s, 90s, West Indies, where it was Big brash chest out. This is how we play. We're coming at you. We're not scared of anyone. We're not wearing a helmet. We're not doing this. We're not doing that. To let's say Don Bradman playing in 1920, where I mean, according to statistics, by the way, cricket is bowling within cricket is the only thing that over the last hundred years people haven't got any faster, any stronger, any better at. The world record in every event has got improved in the last hundred years, but apparently cricket bowlers still bowl exactly the same speed. Interesting. Yeah. Now, interesting. I'm not saying that the four West Indians that we're talking about weren't quick, but like you, you look at how it's gone over the last 20 years when people have realised injuries, and yes, are we perhaps at the limits of the physical body and what it can and can't do? I don't know. But you can't tell me that the people doling at 
Steve Smith aren't a damn sight fitter than the people that were bowling at Don Bradman. Yeah. Yeah, so one thing is for sure. Jono is not going to be getting any quicker because of his foot. No. And my shoulder. Uh, in fact, and your age. he might do because he might bowl it faster backwards. Everything. All right. <laughs> I mean, it must be 15 minutes since you two have had a pop at me, you pair of clowns. So uh, yeah, It's actually been less than that, but you pissed, off, you pissed off to look after your child and you didn't hear it. Oh, right. Fair enough. Yeah, it sounds about right. We're going to move on to the women's... But, oh, sorry. Thank you for your feedback, though. Yes. Really good to have a, have a listener email and really interesting points. I know I'm quite sarcastic in my responses, but I do think you actually made some very good points there, Matt. So, yeah, let us know what you think of our response. Right. <laughs> women's Under-19s World Cup. I suppose the biggest thing to cover off is that finally, within the women's game, Australia, in whatever guise, have lost a game. Obviously, the women, the full international women's Australian team are an absolute juggernaut of the modern world game, are they not? But England defended 99 against them, bowling them out for 96 in the second semi-final before scoring a paltry 68 against India in the final and India won by seven wickets. But good signs for English women's cricket. It's going to be under 19 soon, so well, gentlemen. Yeah, very much so. I actually watched a a bit of it. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's great to see that sort of caliber of cricket being televised. It just shows that the game is up and coming. And it's great to see not only under 19 cricket, but, you know, women's cricket. I think diversity inclusion is really important. And yeah, it was great to, to watch some of the youngsters coming through and looking forward to them progressing through to the national side when they reach there. How did the South Africans get on huge? And that's not a loaded question. I actually don't. We beat, we beat in England 2-0 in the ODIs. Right. <laughs> I mean, okay, we've, we've got to cover this, haven't we? So the predictions now... You remember last week, listeners, we actually harangued Eugene for editing things out to make sure that he sounds like he knows what he's talking about more than he actually ever does. I, what I didn't realize is Eugene can edit the entire podcast even once it's been released. So when we were coming up with our predictions for the series, Eugene and Simon, those eagle-eyed-eared listeners of you, will remember that they both said 3-0 to England. However, if you were to listen to the podcast again, it now sounds like Eugene says 3 0. This doesn't say to England. So he now feels like he's still in the game. I said 2 1. Obviously, that got blown out of the water in the second game. I mean, Eugene, you're a rascal. That's the first thing that needs to be said. But what's. Have we been impressed by South Africa or disappointed with England? I have been impressed with South Africa. Very impressed, considering. And again, I didn't edit it, John. I was just winding you up. So thank you for being so gullible. I was really surprised with a couple of players. One, everybody looks at Temba Bavuma and looks at his T20 stats and thinks he's an absolute mug with a bat. I mean, he's averaging the best part of 50 in his ODI career and the best part of 60 against England. We've got this absolute all-rounding person who's just fallen onto the scene in Marco Janssen, who everybody thought he was going to be really good as a left-arm seam bowler. And his knocks, first of all, in the SA20, and secondly, that knock to win in the second ODI, when and he played some backfoot punches there that most of the top order for England would have quite enjoyed. So for me, I think credit where credit's due. I think the South Africans have played out of their skin. And I'm glad they have because... I don't know if you remember, but when we were having this conversation, they have to beat England 3-0 and the Netherlands 2-0 in order to qualify for the World Cup. That's how bad they've been. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I haven't actually seen any of it. Obviously, Van der Dussen got 100 in the first game, probably a match-winning knock. I don't know how England fell apart. 
frankly, because they were yeah. going really well, 156 for none, and then only Butler got above 17. So a real back-end collapse there. The second game, Bavuma got 100 correct. They chased 304, well, made 347 for five, chasing 343 for the win. Roy didn't back up his first innings 100. Brooke, 80. Butler, 94. Red, Ali, 15. I mean, what have we seen in terms of the bowling? I mean, it's just quite a strong card from South Africa, isn't it? In the second game, they all kind of chipped in the lowest scores, Klaassen, 27. What have we seen from the bowling stocks? I mean, Joffre, by all accounts, just looks like he gets through four overs and then looks a bit tired. But obviously, he's not had a right lot of cricket. Didn't look that threatening, but again, probably because he hasn't played so much cricket. Who have we been impressed by from the England bowling unit, if anybody, and likewise South Africa? I know, obviously, Norkia is just an absolute jet. Ollie Stone looked all right from England's point of view in the last game. Yeah, I think to be fair, what South Africa have played very well. Credit where credit's due. They, they are not from an all round basis. In the first game, they bowled ridiculously well. Second half of the innings, Nokia obviously being one of them, and Gidi looks very useful now, one day cricketer. And you look at some of the guys they've got. I'm not sure if Rabada played the first one, but they've got him to come back in. Maharaj just seems to have found himself a bit of a gig in this in the one day side from nowhere, really. And then they've got Shamsi, who's a, an absolute class bowler seems to use Markram a bit as a bits and pieces of bowler he actually got a, a vital wicket in the first one and then when it c- came to England it's difficult I was having actually having a look at Sam Sam Curran obviously being the player of the tournament in T20 cricket his record in ODIs isn't that brilliant certainly with the ball and then England pretty much had the same bowling attack they've had that was no archer and no wood in the second game Ollie Stone was like their pace yeah or their quicker equivalent I think in the second it's, you look at the second one day and England got done a little bit by the toss. I know that sounds like it's an easy excuse to make, but That's fair. the ball did swing and seam around the first 10 overs. England were 38 for two or something off the first 10, whereas South Africa were 70 odd uh, for none. And that wasn't necessary. You could just see that Bavuma and Quinton de Kock could could trust the pitch a little bit more in the shots they were playing. And I think if you look at it, that's fundamentally what won and lost the game. David Miller class at the end, as he's rapidly coming one of the sort of like almost MS Doney and like, like a finisher. He knows how to win games. He's played a lot of cricket. And he's a good player. But I mean, like, like last week we said, I, I said, I don't know where South Africa are going to get 300 runs from. I may have misforgotten about a bloke that averages 71 in, in one day cricket which is a pretty steady average in Razzie van der, van der Dutton. Bavuma's looked good, again, having looked absolutely rancid in the SAT 20 bit that I watched. And to be fair, Quinton de Kock hasn't done a lot, and he's their best player. So if he fires in the last game, it wouldn't surprise me if this went 3-0 the way that Eugene suggested. But no, there, I was basing it solely on the form of the South African batters. Yeah. And as we've seen, though, Jason Roy's gone out and got 100 first dig. I think at the minute, you know, cricket's becoming, because they're playing so many games, if they get into a run, or if it clicks one day, they'll be off and running. But if it doesn't, because of the way people are playing and being aggressive, you'll see people go low score, bang, 100. Maybe another two low scores, 70, 80. You'll see this. Almost look like Halle, Harry Brook did. Halle Brook, close relation to Halle Berry. I'm still not convinced, um, by the way. How good is he against? Yeah, well, yeah, he's just good. I mean, it's really not aged all that well, has it? My, did you uh... see Maharaja's face the other day? <laughs> it's not aged. Oh, it bought a ball. It was... He's tossed it up, and it could have. It can only have been six inches short of spot on. Yeah, and Brooke has just dived back and hit him a mile over deep mid deep mid wicket. 
right, off the back one, back in his screech, wallop, and hit it. And you just saw my eyes go, oh, good. <laughs> yeah. It was, and he hit it from name badge and top of stump high. It wasn't, you know, a lot of people play it and it's waist high, like bounces yeah, to yeah. waist high or thigh high. They hit it from, from just above knee high mm. on their bang. It's like, um, they threw the next one up a bit more, ran down the wicket and hit before fourth extra cover. And you're going, yeah, you ain't got anywhere to bowl now. Yeah. Yeah. Suggest so a man cad. That'll do. Did you see did you see that by the way? There was something I saw on Instagram where I think it was some form of Aussie grade cricket and some bloke did two man cads in two balls to basically end the innings. No. It just, it just started kicking off big time. Yeah. Well they were Good. not happy. Batters. But, Stop cheating the batters. But then there was there was another reel that I saw on, on Instagram this week, and you may have seen this, you may have not. Some indoor Australian nets. There's this bloke bowling absolute rockets. <laughs> it's horrible. I get uncomfortable just watching it. It reminds me of facing Richard Bannum all those years ago on a bouncy one at Wimbledon. Oh, just horrible. But he's just like he's one of those loose blokes who knows that he can just wang it down there and just doesn't care if you're his mate. Or his worst enemy, he's just going to try and kill you whether you're one of his teammates or not. Good on it. Fast, real fast bowlers are fucking loose cannons. Because indoor nets, you normally simple, run through the crease as well. Yeah, simple, simple, simple game. Just well, yeah. What if you can't fucking see it? <laughs> I've had that a few times. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Well, another enjoyable episode, boys. We should mention that on Thursday. We will be officially launching its Walking of the Ashes. So that'll be across our social media profiles. Please do keep an eye out. Engage with it. Like it. Start donating. Obviously, everything we do for the tabs, amazing charity. But yeah, you will start to learn a lot more about what we're doing, the routes that we're doing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's going to be really hard, but we're going to really enjoy it, the three of us. We'll probably argue a lot. We'll probably cry a lot. We'll probably have a load of laughs as well, but it's going to be a real challenge that the three of us are going to take on along with some celebrities and a few other folks but there are ways join us if you want huh well as i was about to say there there are opportunities for people to come along and get involved wherever we will be doing a lot of instagram videos while we're actually on the walk and so it'll be people can absolutely track where we are and where we're going to get to on certain days if people want to come and join us for a little bit of it so yeah that'll be thursday and then i guess uh that's probably it for tonight isn't it Thank you to you two, as always. An absolute joy and a pleasure, as it always is. Please, if you like this podcast, please do rate, share, subscribe, all of that stuff that we always say. We'd really appreciate it. And no, leave a review. No, really. No, right now. Right now. Go and re- Right now. Go and give now, us five now. stars, please. Really yeah. need it right now. Right, yeah, <laughs> right in now. In five minutes. Not in ten minutes. Now. Not just Do now. It. Not just now. Right now. No, no. No. So, yes, until next week, we shall leave it there. So, yeah. See you soon. Love you. Bye. Yes, guys. Thank <laughs> you.